Welcome, everybody. I'm going to get right to the good stuff. Shall we start with the joke? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, this is one of these uh, from the ancient Sufi tradition. Remember Mullah Nasruddin? For those of you who uh, uh, know anything about Persian, he's kind of a, a medieval folk hero. And here's, a, here's one of his famous stories. So, why have you never gotten married, Jamil asked his friend Mullah Nasruddin. Well, Nasruddin sighed, all the significant women in my life have had such tragic flaws. Well, such as, said Jamil. Well, first, there was Samantha. She was very sweet, but her nose was huge. I just couldn't overlook it. Now, Olga was gorgeous, but a dull lover. And then there was Stella. She was passionate, but emotionally volatile, always fighting. So, honestly, you've never met a woman that you could, thought you could marry, asked Jamil. Oh, yes, yes. Ingrid, in fact, was perfect in every way. Beautiful, cultured, intelligent, good-natured. Ingrid had it all. Well, what happened, asked Jamil. I have to know. Well, smiled Mullah Nasruddin. You see, she was looking for the perfect partner, too. <laughs> Have you ever known anyone that picky before? Yeah. What about those people that seem to go through life who are never, ever, ever satisfied? You know, sometimes they'll show up when they're apartment hunting. Sometimes it will be around matters of the heart, right? And they can't ever seem to find anyone that suits them. Sometimes it's about a job. Have you noticed people that are in a perfectly good job and all they do is kind of complain about it and, and have that kind of a mind's eye for the better job, you know, that kind of elusive perfect job that's out there? Well, I like to think of these people as sort of perpetual seekers. And you know what? It even happens in the, the metaphysical world. I had a phone call not too long ago from someone on the telephone who was interested in coming to our Sunday service. And so she started asking me questions about it. And I told her a little bit about the science of mind and what our center was like and who came on Sunday. And then her questions started getting more and more. She wanted to know, well, how many minutes exactly do you meditate in the first service? It was like, uh, well, I don't know. I think it's around 12 or 15. And, and she started asking, even just the most peculiar. And, and what I realized was she actually was looking for a reason not to come. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not even sure in a way why she called, but what I got out of it was she was that consummate and perennial seeker always looking for something that would be like a, a head, head and hands above the rest, that unless something was abs like all the specs. I mean, I've seen people do this with stereo systems, but never with a church before. It, it, it kind of made me laugh in a way. But I also recognize that there's a little bit of this in all of us. And to some degree, it's actually a good thing. One of the things I really like about seekers is they usually know what they want, right? And this is a good thing. So often some of the people that are really kind of lost in life, they're lost because they have no idea what they want. They don't know what they want to be when they grow up and they might be 50, 60, 70 years old and they still don't have a good idea of how they want to express themselves or, or, or how they want to show up with friends, you know? It's like they're lost. Now, someone who's a perpetual seeker, usually they'll know exactly 
how they want things to be and how they want to show up. So that's a good thing. Another thing that I like about perpetual seekers or, or the seeker mentality in general is that they're usually pretty good at saying no. Boundaries are set for them. And this is a very valuable tool. I mean, if, you, if you're doing something that a seeker doesn't like because they have that sense of what they want and how things should be, they'll just say, I don't think so. <laughs> it's like, back off. We're not going to do that. That's not the way that this one's going to work. And I actually appreciate that. So often I will find myself with people who have no boundaries at all. And usually what goes with no boundaries is no responsibilities. So, so if you ask them to do something, it's like, oh, sure, I'd love to do that. Why not? Well, the trouble is, <laughs> like it never gets done. So a couple things that I really like about the seekers, but, oh my gosh, is there the downside? The downside is being with someone who is never, ever, ever satisfied. Now, on the surface, sometimes it looks just like perfectionism. And I think to a degree, all of us understand what perfectionism is. It's when we're, we're seeking kind of the, finest, the finest for ourselves or for our family or for our loved ones. And sometimes we just kind of overshoot a little bit. Sometimes we, we go way past good enough into the zoom over into the unreasonable range. And we're, we're kind of dooming ourselves to, to maybe not finding what it is that we really want in life. And, and it's no big deal. Things like that happen happen and we move on. But a seeker is that way in almost every area of their life. They really view themselves as needing this, this real idealized version of, of like everything in all aspects of their lives. And what I have come to understand here that, that is, as Mullah Magruden might say, the fatal flaw, the, the tragic flaw is they've actually lost sight of what they're seeking for. And instead of seeking for the good, what are they doing? They're actually finding the flaws in the world. They're, the impetus of their energy actually is finding the flaw. Let me illustrate, hopefully, with kind of a fun example. Who here likes going to see movies? Okay, pretty much everybody likes movies. And do you have any favorite movie reviewers? For a while we had uh, Siskel and Ebert, and I used to love their show. You'd tune in, and what I liked about it was as often as not, one of them would be thumbs up, and the other one would be thumbs down. I mean, they had very vigorous kind of fun opinions around the movies they had seen, and it was a good uh, kind of a touchstone. But long before Siskel and Ebert, uh, there was a woman who uh, wrote for the New Yorker magazine called Dorothy Parker. Anyone familiar with Dorothy Parker? <laughs> One of the, uh, the, the Algonquin roundtable of creative writers, an amazing literary figure in New York, and she hated every movie she ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would think so anyway. She's, she's the one that made famous a, a, a review of Katherine Hepburn. And one of Katherine Hepburn's most famous and leading roles, Dorothy Parker wrote, Oh yes, it was an interesting show, and Miss Hepburn ran the full gamut of emotions from A to B. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I, so I got to add, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now this was Katherine Hepburn, right? But I thought what was interesting, what would it be like to have a life where your job is to review something that you will always hate? Now, now I have no idea if Ms. Parker was really like that. I suspect not. 
I suspect that a lot of her reviewing was part of her style and the, the joy of being a little bit catty and things like that, you know, for the humor's sake of it. But nonetheless, if on purpose we are seeking the flaws in life, what are the chances that we're going to be satisfied with life? If we're chasing down every bad little thing, how are we going to enjoy ourselves? If we find the flaws in the people around us and the jobs that we have, if we're looking very intently for things wrong in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our lives, if we gravitate towards all the negative articles in the newspaper, and believe me, there are plenty, if, if that is where we spend our time, how are we going to enjoy life? So that's my question for us today. Do we want to be a seeker? Do we want to continually be looking for the next thing that might be better? Or might we be content for a while to be a finder? Now, on the surface, I don't know that they look that much different. Because both a seeker and a finder have an idea of what they want to experience in the world. It really has to do with where they put the emphasis. A seeker is always looking for something better. A seeker is always looking to tease out some of the negativity and ideally to highlight the positive things. A, a seeker is one who has a very fine granularity around what they want and what they want to experience and a highly developed sense of whether this is it or not. A finder is someone that has a good idea of what they want to feel in their heart. A finder has a good sense of being able to find something that will make their hearts blossom, that will make their creativity bloom, that will bring about a change inwardly in them that may even be separate from what's going on on the outside. So on, on the surface, these two people may approach life in a similar manner, right? They're out there trying to make their hearts sing, trying to find something that would really um, benefit themselves and, and really create a life that they want to live. And you know what? A seeker's probably never going to find it. A finder may not have to go any further than their own lives right the way they are. I want to try this on size uh, for you for a moment. Because I think, first of all, that what we generally want is an experience. Now, we may feel more likely to have that experience when certain things are going on on the outside, right? We're more likely to feel love around other people. We're more likely to feel useful in a job. We're more likely to have a sense of, of home and hearth when we're well settled in an apartment or, or, or in a home. I mean, it only makes sense that our outside environment has an effect on what we feel. But can our outside environment actually make us feel anything? See, I don't think so. I think oftentimes we imagine that it will, that when such and such happens, then I can be happy. When the perfect partner comes along, then I'll really have a chance at feeling love. When the perfect job comes my way, I'll not only be valued for my skills, but I'll actually have that ability to know that I'm doing something good in the world, that my talents are well applied. I mean, I think that oftentimes we confuse the true cause of what we're feeling for the stuff on the outside. I don't think it's true at all. 
I think only you can feel what you're going to feel, and you actually put it on. Now, often it will be at a reaction to what's going on on the outside. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you'll have that sense of this thing happened, and then I felt a certain way. But I'm sure everyone here in this room has had a, an occasion where someone uh, had a similar situation happen to them, and they felt completely different about it. That's because the feeling is in here. Love is created in our own heart. The utility is created in our own sense of self-worth. It isn't based on a job. Believe me, people can have the same jobs and one person can be completely content with it and feeling useful and alive and someone else can be bored silly and think it's the darndest job. It's not the job. It's not the relationship. It's not the situation of your, of your housing or your life or your neighborhood. And, and although we like to blame things on what's going on in Washington and the, the rotten things in the newspaper and stuff like that, it's not that either, you know? I would like it if it were. It would be ever so convenient to say all my problems and my, my feelings of not being safe or, or being worthy is, you know, I can blame that on what's going on in Washington. But I'm going to own up to it. It's right here. My feelings about everything start in my own heart. Now you might ask, where am I going with this? How does this fit into this idea of being a finder instead of being a seeker? It's because when you're a finder, you recognize you've already found it. You recognize that those feelings, those experiences, those ways of being in the world are actually indwelling. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, we, we can create an atmosphere where it's easier to feel that. Uh, so, so there are appropriate times, absolutely, to be in a different relationship or to get a different job. But more often than not, you don't need to seek any further than your own mind. You don't need to go any further than your own connection to God. You don't need to go out into the world to find happiness when the very seed of happiness, the very nature of happiness is indwelling. This month we're using this book called Enough Already of Alan Cohen's, and I want to do a quick reading here about the seeker for you and see if this rings true for anyone that you know, or, or maybe you yourself. He says, no one does anything unless he believes that what he will get in return is equal or greater in value than what you're giving to put into it. People who constantly seek without finding perceive a greater reward in the seeking than they do in the finding. And when confronted with the possibility of fulfilling their quest or solving their problems, they sense that their known world may be rocked. And so they choose to stay with their crusade rather than finding their dreams. When we become the perpetual seeker, we begin defining ourselves by the seeking. We begin to see that our own investment in the seeking is us, is who we are, it's what we do. And when that is the case, we turn in to our very own Dorothy Parkers. Only maybe without some of the literary genius. <laughs> what we become is, is bent upon the process and never realizing that happiness at the end. We find ourselves in that um, really uh, 
unenviable position of always wanting a little bit more and the wanting begins to describe us rather than that which we want. So how do we become finders? That's, of course, next where I would say we ought to take a look. Nothing wrong with the seeking. If you remember at the beginning, there are a couple really valid things that are good about being a seeker. That around knowing what you want, and that around setting boundaries and saying no. Extremely important things in the world. And in fact, how to become a finder is going to go back to that first quality, and that is knowing what you want. Because what you want usually isn't a what. Knowing what you want is usually about a feeling inside, a sense of involvement with others. It's usually something that the things in life might help you feel it, but usually are at a distance from it also. So when you ask yourself, what is it that I want? What is it that I want to experience in life? What would really make my heart sing? Be open to the idea that it isn't a thing at all. That it might be something as basic as love. As basic as safety. As conventional as peace. As, uh, as, as whimsical as joy. That it may not get so easily ra- uh, rounded up in a job or something else. Those things may help. But that an openness, if you will, to think about what it is that you really want in terms of something that can be felt and understood from the heart rather than something that you can write a check for. And I think that could be the first key into finding because those kinds of things are always available to be found, right? They're not things that you have to save up for. They're not things you have to wait for. They're not things that are dependent on someone else cooperating. They're not dependent upon a job that pays a certain amount or in a certain part of town. It's not dependent on anything other than your own willingness to open your eyes and really see your own lives. Now I do know and I do recognize that there are people less fortunate than most of the folks in this room today, people that don't have a place to live, people without enough food. I'm certainly not saying that those people don't have real and physical needs that must be met, right? But for most of the people in this room, I bet our basic needs are pretty well met. That would be my guess. And from then on, what we're adding to it, I want to say we don't have to seek any further than our heart. That truly, truly in our own heart, in our own mind, lives that which we would treasure. So I'm going to close today with a bit of homework that will, I hope, lead us from that idea of seeking into an idea more of finding. The first part of the homework is to really understand what your goal in life is. And and maybe even at the broadest level, what are your goals? Is it to be happy? Is it to be content? Is it to, to feel worthwhile? Is it to be the best mom on the planet? Is it to have that heartfelt sense of belonging to, to family and neighborhood? Is it that ability or that desire to be preeminent in some area of your life? Let's look at what our goals are and then determine whether we're seeking or whether we're finding. And I'll give, you, I'll give you a good way to look at it. When you are in the process of reaching for that goal, are you finding the things that don't fit with it, or are you finding the things that do fit with it? 
So a couple examples. One, let's say you're going for a job interview. What do you notice first? The 12 things in that job that really just don't fit very well. The benefit package that isn't quite what you would want. The number of weeks of vacation, not quite what it could be. The salary range, just a little less. If you notice those things first, and that tends to be a pattern, you might take a look at your seekingness. Are you going to be satisfied? If, on the other hand, you tend to notice, and this is irregardless of whether you actually take the job or not, but if you notice, on the other hand, you tend to notice the things you like best about it. Oh my gosh, I'd be downtown. I've always wanted to work downtown, and it's right by the max line, and I've noticed that the, the health benefits are really good, and, and look at the arrangement of the chairs. It's really cool. I think I could really like it here. Right? Same job. It's like, what do you notice first? If you are on the path, I believe, of becoming a finder, you will see the breadcrumbs. Remember, the, I think it's Hansel and Gretel that laid out the breadcrumbs so they could get out of the dark forest. I think life works that way more often than not. I think the breadcrumbs are always there if we look for them. And if we're on a path to find something, the breadcrumbs will be positive. The breadcrumbs will be leading us in the direction of what we want to see, not what we're avoiding. So, so that would be my tip on this idea of seeking versus finding. Truly, it's in our own heart to find whatever we're looking for. And if we're looking for the faults, oh my gosh, we're going to find the faults. If we're looking for that which would make our heart sing, if we're looking for that positive outcome, if in our own heart... We sense that the goodness of life is to be ours and we begin looking for it. It will be there for us. All right. Longest homework ever, so let me summarize. <laughs> I know. It's way too long. Way too long. So take a look at what your goal is and then see if you're seeking it or if you're finding it. So goal first. Second, am I finding the things in it that I want to perceive, or am I actually seeking out the negativity? A, a good, another good example is if it, I've seen this happen before uh, with people looking for new houses, and, and, and I'm sure any of the realtors that in the audience, um, just thinking of one in particular, probably has, experience, <laughs> has probably experienced this where you take a couple looking for a house, and one of them, you know, oh my gosh, the hardwood floors are so beautiful and the kitchen's sweet and oh my gosh the yard is low maintenance it's just what we want and the other one's going oh no this roof will never do and oh the garage is too small for anything but the smallest car and they're looking at the same house do you see what I mean one is a seeker and one is a finder and what I do know is that the finders in life have a chance at finding love at finding joy at finding contentment, in finding the sweet sweetness of family, of hearth, and of home. So let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one joy, one life. There is that goodness that comes infinitely from God. And what I know about it is that it is present everywhere. In every person's life, the sun is perennially shining. In every person's life, the the joy is there. The love is available. The sweetness 
of family and connection is in potential. I know this means me. I know that as I open my eyes to see more good, that the good is there. As I open my heart to receive more good, the good so easily flows to me. No longer just seeking something that is perfect and unobtainable, but actually receiving something that is beautiful and heartfelt. This is what I know for me. And as it is true for me, I extend this truth to everyone in this room. And I simply affirm for each person here that the the best of life is to be had as we open our arms to receive it, to really be a finder. The universe always provides. I also know for each person here there's a willingness to begin observing their own methodology, to check out whether they're uh, looking for the faults or whether they're looking for the benefits, to check out whether they are likely to be perennial seekers or whether the finding of perhaps their own true heart is before them. I'm simply grateful for this potential. I'm grateful for the the Spirit of God showing up as the hearts and the hands and the minds right in this very room. And so I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for being here today.